Hey, this is Britt from ResistRadio.com, and you're listening to a podcast from Wednesday the 16th of May. It's been a little while since I did a podcast, so I thought I would get one out there, and I'll try and do them more regularly. Just been doing a few other things, been a bit busy with those. But yes, welcome along to the show. I have to say I haven't actually planned today's uh, podcast, but there are plenty of things to talk about, as always, and I'd like to start with talking about the biggest story in the news at the moment, which of course is the collapse of the euro, you know, which is something we've been talking about for a long time. I remember doing several shows on uh, the collapse of the euro last year, and you know, the financial and political elite have basically been trying to pretend that everything's okay, and when it was quite obvious, you know, things weren't okay, and this system was going to collapse at some point, and yes, it does look like um, Greece is going to leave the euro. Um, the Greeks are unable to form a government, and they've just announced today the date of new elections, which are going to be taking place next month, and the Germans have even been trying to threaten the Greek people. I read a couple of quotes from a couple of German politicians basically saying if the Greek people don't elect a party which supports um, the European U Union and supports the Euro, then they're going to have to leave the Euro. You know, as if this, this is a threat really. You know, to me it's not a threat because if I was in Greece I would want to leave the Euro as soon as possible and default on these, you know, colossal debts that the political and financial elite of Greece have, um, have racked up, you know, at the expense of the everyday taxpayer in Greece. But, no, it's being used as a threat. I mean, I did read a statistic the other day which said that 70% of Greek people actually want to stay in the Euro. Um, I mean, I was quite surprised to read that. Of course, it could have been entirely made up and, you know, the real figure could be much, much less than that. But it was certainly surprising to me that 70% of Greek people would want to stay in the Euro considering the situation that they're in. You know, I mean, living standards have plummeted. Um, people's pensions have been cut by quite a lot. Um, yeah, the standard of living is just, um, you know, dropping rapidly. I think there's, there's even been kind of a, a resurgence of diseases that haven't been so widespread in Greece. I think malaria was one of them, um, purely because the public health system is basically collapsing because of the lack of funding due to the cuts as the political and financial elite try and pay back the debts that they've racked up to the private financial companies um, from the taxpayers' money. You know, it's a, a totally obscene scenario, isn't it, really? So... I don't understand why the Greeks would want to stay in the Euro. You know, the best the best solution would be to leave the Euro and, yeah, simply tell um, their creditors to, to go stuff it. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of um, easy for me to, to sit here and um, say such a thing, you know, because the, re the reality is obviously, you know, way more complicated and there's no doubt going to be you know, huge effects for the every, everyday person when Greece has to 
drop the euro and return to the drachma. But, you know, will it be any worse than, than it is now? I can't really see how it could be any worse. And if they do that, then there's a good chance, you know, in the very near future, things are going to be a lot better. You know, it could be a chance to, to start again from scratch. Tell the creditors to go stuff it and start printing their own money, you know, return to a sound money policy. They could start the, the whole thing again. Um, you know, it'd be a great idea. <laughs> you know, they could even um, decide not to have a government. I mean, wouldn't that be fantastic? Have an experiment with a with um, with anarchy, an anarchic state in in Europe. That would be uh, very interesting. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. But yes, at the very least, they could um, they could drop the euro and tell the banks just to get stuffed. We're not paying you back your money. You know, because this money has been borrowed by the elite of Greece, who no doubt want to stay in the euro because they benefit from it. You know, all these Greek politicians um, are totally corrupt. They've been responsible for this situation. You know, they were offered all of this money from international loan sharks. Um, you know, the central banks, um, private investment companies, the IMF, the World Bank, offered them all of this money which was you know printed out of nothing or more usually just typed into a computer completely worthless not backed by anything but when you're offered that and you're in power it's quite tempting to take all of that money because you can then you know spend it on um, your citizens make it look like you know, you're doing a good thing and you're providing everything they need. But of course, it's all based on debt and it can never last forever. It, I mean, obviously you want to try and make it last for as long as possible because um, if the system collapses, then it's you who's going to lose your job. So, <laughs> yeah, it's starting to collapse now and it's the great people who are suffering, isn't it, basically, as I just mentioned, you know. You know, of course, this is going to have a, a big knock-on effect um, when Greece collapses, that's going to knock on to Spain and Italy and Portugal, and then, of course, to, to Britain and the US as well. I mean, this is going to happen to all of the Western countries. They're all based on debt. They've all got huge, you know, insanely massive debts. The official debt in Britain is um, a billion pounds, but I think the unofficial figure is like. Uh, five, sorry, a trillion pounds, not a billion. That wouldn't be too bad. <laughs> a trillion pounds is the official. Uh, the unofficial is five trillion, and you know, no doubt, it's it's way more than that. You know, it's just a nonsense figure, basically, which can never be paid back. You know, we're all going to be facing this um, decrease in our standards of living. It's not just Greece that's going to be happening to. You know, the entire Western economy for the last. You know, two decades at least has been based on credit, and the elite have pumped up this bubble, and it's starting to pop now. And that's why we've talked about at resistradio.com for so long. You know, the importance of being aware of that and preparing for that. You know, however you can, and that could be in you know short-term measures like having stores of uh, food and water and 
other supplies, which is very important. But I mean, to me, really, it's going to be, you know, long-term planning because, you know, the whole way of life in the Western world is going to be changing. Basically, you know, there's going to be a small percentage of people at the top who don't have to worry about these things, but for most of us, myself included, you know. Life isn't going to be the same as it has been for the past uh, couple of decades for most people. You know, these social systems aren't going to be in place. These social benefit systems, because there's simply no money for them, and you know, the pension schemes aren't going to be the same as they are now. There simply aren't jobs for life anymore, like there always was in the past, and. Yeah, it's basically thinking about that and preparing for this this very different future that we face, because the entire system is just it's completely gone, hasn't it? I mean, you know, it's um, it's reached its end. Basically, we've been talking about that for a long time at ResistRadio.com and the alternative media has in general, you know, and people have been called paranoid or fear mongering, but. Is, is not, is it? Because this entire system of perpetual growth based on debt, it was never going to be, be sustainable. And we see it collapsing now. It might take a lot longer than some people think it, it's going to take. I mean, I don't think the whole of society is going to collapse overnight or anything. I think it's going to take years and, and decades really, but the basic drift is a, a slow grinding down of this system that we've, we've come to know, isn't it? So, yes, preparing uh, preparing for that is, is just very important. And moving on to another story, of course, whilst the economy collapses and taxpayers have to pay off the debts, the political elite are still trying to get more of our money to pay for arms and weaponry. This was a story that came out a couple of days ago. You might have read my article about it. Um, there was a conference happening in London, and speaking at the conference was the British Defence Secretary Philip Hammond. And we had some more of the uh, the fear mongering, the terror fear mongering from Philip Hammond. And at this conference, he warned he warned of the threat of an e-bomb attack. By terrorists. Now, an e-bomb is um, a device which is designed to be detonated in the upper atmosphere, apparently, and it releases an electromagnetic pulse, which, when it hits the Earth, this apparently, you know, disrupts all of the infrastructure, the electricity systems, um, yeah, the entire national grid, basically. Also, of course you know, the internet. So Philip Hammonds at this conference was basically warning of the threat from rogue states and terrorists who might apparently already have one of these e-bombs. Now, I've no idea where they got this e-bomb from or how they managed to develop develop one. You know, the idea of Al-Qaeda developing an e-bomb and then having the ability to launch it 500 miles into the upper atmosphere is um, is totally ridiculous, but yeah, that's the latest fear-mongering propaganda uh, from Philip Hammond, and also the U.S. 
Assistant Defence Secretary Paul Stockton was there. I mean, they did also talk about the threat of natural uh, natural disasters or natural events uh, such as a solar flare. But the terror aspect, yeah, I mean, blatant fear-mongering and a blatant attempt to get more of the taxpayers' money and siphon it off to the arms companies. You know, completely, um, completely outrageous. And it's quite interesting when you look into who was responsible for hosting this conference. Um, it was actually being hosted by a couple of organizations. One of them was the Electric Infrastructure and Security Council. This is a US company. And also by the British organization or think tank, the Henry Jackson Society. I'd never, I'd never heard of either of these organizations, but you know, the sort of smallest amount of research um, made it quite clear uh, what they were all about. Now, firstly, the, the Henry Jackson Society, this is a, a think tank which claims to, you know, be about peace and human rights and things like this. Um, of course, that involves liberal interventionism, you know, this great phrase that was um, used by Tony Blair, you know, the invasion, the illegal invasion of Iraq was a form of liberal interventionism, apparently. You know, the, the word liberal making it sound as if it's, you know, harmless and um, well-meaning. And interventionism, you know, as if something is really happening that's... Um, that shouldn't be happening and that needs to be stopped. I mean, in the case of Iraq, there wasn't anything happening there that needed to be stopped. So, of course, they had to invent a reason, the weapons of mass destruction. Uh, we saw liberal in interventionism in Libya last year. The excuse given then was this supposed massacre that Gaddafi and his forces were going to commit in Benghazi, which again was just a, you know, a totally concocted um, excuse to invade basically so yeah liberal interventionism is just a, a code word for the invasion and takeover of foreign countries to advance a, a global uh, geopolitical agenda you know the agenda which is the new world order and yes the Henry Jackson society is uh, full of, of neocon types um actually patrons of the society two of the patrons are William Crystal and Richard Pearl who of course are you know key members of the um, the project for a new american century or pnac you know this us think tank populated by zionists basically strategizing how the us can take over the globe <laughs> And of course they famously, shortly before 9-11, in one of their papers, referred to the fact that, you know, their mission will be made very much easier should there just happen to be an event like a new Pearl Harbor. You know, very suspicious uh, timing, not too long before 9-11. <laughs> so yeah, Richard Pearl and uh, William Crystal, also the former head of MI6 uh, Sir Richard Dearlove is a member 
of the Henry Jackson Society and also the former director of the CIA. So you see those names and you know exactly what kind of an organization this is, is don't you? And the other organization that's hosting this conference, yes, the Electric Infrastructure and Security Council. Now this is um, run by quite an interesting character. The, uh, the CEO and chairman of this organization is a guy called Avi Schnur and he's listed on a website called uh, Lidl as a leading Jewish inspiration and it talks about how he founded the Israel Missile Defense Association there's a surprise <laughs> so you go to the um, the website of the IMDA the Israel Missile Defense Association and you find that yeah it's a a weapons and security company and it deals with protecting Israel against purported threats from Syria and Palestine and um, yeah various places surrounding Israel I mean I'm not quite sure what these threats are really I can't imagine Syria firing off any rockets towards Israel because they know they would be you know annihilated if they did I mean all that Israel has to put up with really is these small rockets fired from um, Lebanon you know these handheld uh, rockets you know, it's pretty small scale really compared to the hardware and uh, weaponry that Israel has but yeah this website makes out that you know there's these grave threats to Israel and yes this company is involved in defending from those supposed threats um, so yeah this guy is obviously you know a Zionist he's hosting a conference in association with an organization which is populated by neocons who are also following uh, a Zionist ideology which is the protection of Israel at all cost and yeah it's just all dodgy stuff isn't it really you know this e-bomb threat seems to me to be another attempt to fearmonger to raise funds for Israel and yeah I mean it's just it's just shameful really that British politicians are part of this um, but totally unsurprising you know because the British government basically is populated by uh, Zionist sympathizers you know we saw this so recently with the case of um, Liam Fox and Adam Werity uh, Liam Fox of course was the predecessor to Philip Hammond in the role of British Defence Secretary and you know I've gone into depth about that in previous shows and in articles that I've written that this Liam Fox and his best friend Adam Werity were basically setting up all kinds of illegal business deals you know uh, Liam Fox was in the cabinet at the time so he shouldn't have been doing any of this so it was all illegal they were setting up business deals around the world uh, connected to future military action against Iran 
which is obviously what they were agitating for. You know, they'd been meeting with uh, members of the Mossad even in Israel. They'd attended um, pro-Zionist conferences together, sometimes attended by the British ambassador to Israel, Matthew Gold, who's also Jewish. Uh, Adam Werity himself uh, set up a company called Pargav, which was where his funding came from. And some of the key funders of Pargav were extremely wealthy Jewish businessmen who were also connected to Israeli lobby groups, including uh, BICOM, which is uh, one of the biggest Israeli lobby groups in Britain. And uh, Adam Werity and Liam Fox had actually set up the organization called the Atlantic Bridge, which again is populated by neocon Zionists. Um, Henry Kissinger is a member of it, and Rudy Giuliani and people like this. You know, a who's who of basically um, global criminals, basically, you know, the mafia, because that's what these people are, you know, it's legal mafia. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's just a big network of of criminals. And these criminals want to make you scared. Um, they want to protect Israel. And they want to make as much money as possible from taxpayers. So yes, um, if you want some more details about that, you can check out my article about it. Quite interesting anyway. So let's move on to another recent story. Some more terror-related news, which you might not have heard about. And this is relating to the widow of one of the alleged 7-7 bombers, um, Jermaine Lindsay. This was a story that I wrote an article about quite a while ago because it had been alleged that this woman, whose name is Samantha Luthwaite, was connected to a terror plot um, in Kenya. And yes, it's been apparently confirmed now by the authorities that she is wanted in connection with a terror plot which was targeting Kenyan tourist hotels. And this is a plot which a guy called Jermaine Grant, who is a 29-year-old British Muslim, has been um, has been accused of. He's been charged with planning this attack on these hotels. Uh, apparently he had some ingredients, bomb ingredients in his um, apartment. And yes, it's now being alleged that Samantha Luthwaite is connected to this guy. Um, funnily enough, she managed to escape just before police raided her apartment. And she's now believed to have escaped to Somalia. And she's being apparently, you know, sheltered by Al-Shabaab, who are the Islamic militants in Somalia, who, you know, have been accused of being uh, connected to Al-Qaeda. I think they have pledged allegiance to Al-Qaeda, but how much actual connection there is between the groups is, is really not clear. So, I mean, it's another one of these stories that, you know, you just wonder how much is actually true, you know, especially after this underwear bomb plot and the fact that that was totally set up. I mean, you literally can't believe anything that you're told by the authorities these days. And, I mean, who knows whether it's really this Samantha Luthwaite, the, the widow of this, you know, former bomber. Is it really her? If it is her, 
you know, how is she being allowed to just travel around, or how was she being allowed to travel around? I mean, surely she was being monitored, you know, in some capacity anyway, as having been connected to the 7-7 bombers. I mean, how did she manage to leave the country without being tracked? You know, and where's this money coming from? Apparently she's being accused of being the funder of this bomb plot. Yeah, she's financing the whole thing, apparently. Um, so where's she getting her money from? You know, she's a, a, a widow of, um, of, a, of a dead terrorist, and it's difficult to understand where that funding is coming from. So it wouldn't surprise me if, um, if it eventually turned out that she was, you know, being used as part of some intelligence plot. I mean, that's basically the first thing that you have to think about when you hear about these stories these days. There's just been so many cases of, you know, people being used as patsies now. I mean, that's the first thing that you really have to think about when you hear about these terror plots. Also very useful for the imperialists that Samantha Luthwaite is allegedly in Somalia with Al-Shabaab because Somalia is very much another target um, of the imperialists. You know, this is a very um, resource-rich country and has, it has just recently been opened up for oil exploration by the West. But of course there's these uh, pesky terrorists there who are trying to overthrow the, the Western-backed government, the Al-Shabaab militants, Al-Qaeda. And yeah, there's been helicopter attacks there on terrorists. Um, you know, we're just seeing this more often these days. People that Western governments accuse of being terrorists are just being summarily executed, basically. You know, it's happening particularly in Yemen. Uh, every day now you can read about people who are being killed in, in drone strikes in Yemen. Of course, last year we had uh, Ayman al-Awlaki. He was assassinated, apparently, in Yemen in a, in a drone strike and also the um, editor of the Inspire magazine, the Al-Qaeda magazine. You know, there wasn't actually any evidence provided that those two guys had actually been killed, but as we've not heard from Al-Awlaki, and he was quite sort of prolific on the internet, you have to assume that that's true. But yeah, all the time now people are just being assassinated by, by drones. I mean, you know, there's no kind of due process anymore. If the West accuses you of being a terrorist then apparently they have the right just to to blow you away you know from a safe distance as well <laughs> you know whenever a, a terrorist um, carries out an attack the the western politicians are the first to say oh this is so cowardly you know these cowardly terrorists but i mean what could be more cowardly than killing someone from you know a, a very safe distance from one of these predator drones you know, um, high in the sky, you know, it's, it's as cowardly as you can get really, isn't it? And I'm sure like loads of people have been killed who aren't really terrorists. And this is supposed to somehow combat terrorism and make things better. I mean, it's just so obvious that if you uh, bomb a country and kill innocent people, then you're going to make people even more angry. You're just going to make a whole new generation of militants. You know, it's not dealing with the problem of terrorism. Um, and it's just ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, you know, the British government recently was fear-mongering about these Al-Shabaab um, militants as well. They've claimed that there are 
like 40 people from Britain in Somalia training with Al-Shabaab and that these people could return to Britain and carry out terror attacks which seems you know pretty unlikely to me um, but yeah I mean it just uh, it just gets a bit much sometimes once you can see through the, the lies and the propaganda you just start to think you know why can't more people see this because it's just so it's just so obviously contrived this terror threat I mean I'm, you know, I'm sure there are terrorists out there but the way the, the terror threat is being dealt with is simply making things worse and you know as me and Tom were talking about in our last discussion I mean what's the actual chance of you know being caught in a terror attack you know it's so incredibly slim isn't it really but you know our lives are just dominated now by this this terror threat but the actual chance of being caught in a terror attack I mean I think there are statistics actually and I mean I think I've read them out before in a previous show and it's just like ridiculous I mean there's more chance of being of dying from a from eating a peanut or something like this you know the chances are just so slim ah but it, it goes on doesn't it because there's money to be made out of it and yes people are making lots of money from from terror okay guys I'm going to call it a day for today so I would like to thank you for checking out the podcast uh, we'll try and do them more regularly in future if you need to contact me you can find my email address on the about page of the website so thanks a lot and I'll catch you on the next one take it easy cheers